Well, please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, uh, which was read out to us just before 1 John chapter 4, which was page 1227 of the Church Bibles, 1 John 4. And uh, there isn't an outline uh, for tonight's sermon, but if you look inside your service sheet, you will see a, a sheet that says Songs During Communion, and on the back it is blank. And so if you are uh, partial to taking notes and... Uh, or just uh, looking for something to uh, draw on uh, while, uh, while I'm speaking, uh, that's probably the best piece of paper to use. Just as you're finding uh, 1 John chapter 4, let me ask you, what's the best meal that you've ever had? The, the sort of meal that's locked in your memory, burnt in your memory, uh, the tastes of it, uh, the, the scene of it. What's the best meal you've ever had? I'll tell you mine. It was about uh, three and a half years ago. Uh, the summer before moving here, it was a barbecue feast uh, with my best friends in all the world, with music, uh, with much laughter, uh, remembering things of the past, great seafood, meat, uh, no vegetables. <laughs> uh, sitting on a balcony uh, on the coast north of Sydney, I, I can taste it now. What's the best meal you've ever had? What did you eat? Who was there with you? What did you talk about? Well, how about this meal? Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. How about that meal? How about the meal you have every time your God speaks to you? The meal you have when your Father, who has given you the incredible hope that we've seen in recent weeks, Hope of no death, of no guilt, of no fear. What about the meal you have when you feast together with him in his word? That every time you hear his voice and you open the door, he comes in and he sits with you and you with him at table. That's what happens every time we open the word as we are doing right now. We are feasting with our God. Now I don't know what your favourite meal is of the past, but this is what the Bible says. If you are a child of God, when your God speaks to you, he will lead you to delight in the meals you share with him. Delight in it more and more so that every time you open his word that you will enjoy the feast that you have there. Now sometimes when you open his words, the meals will be pretty plain ones, the sort of beans on toast, bangers and mash sort of variety meals. But then there'll be the highlight meals, won't there? The meals that you remember that when you sat at table with your God and, and they're burnt in your memory for whatever reason. I've got a few like that. I, I can remember reading my way through uh, the book of James on a gum tree that had just perfectly fallen, uh, bridged a river uh, in the Blue Mountains just uh, north of Sydney. Uh, sitting in the middle of this river on this huge gum tree reading the book of James. I can remember reading Habakkuk 3 uh, as a 22-year-old with my best friends uh, this time on an oval. Uh, the night we got the news our best friend had died and we feasted on these words. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now there's a feast. Now here's the thing. As a Christian, you know your God speaks to you. And over time you're going to have many meals with your God, the plain ones and the memorable ones. And when you feast that often as a human being, it starts to show, doesn't it? 
If you enjoy that many meals, the meals start to change you. But here's the danger. Now, the one we've been exploring together in these recent weeks. We are a church family who loves to feast on God's word. But we can easily become gluttons at that table. Feasting on the scriptures, feasting on teaching, feasting on good books. But the only change it may bring in us is that it gives us an increasingly fat head. We listen to God speak to us and we come away with more and more learning, more and more information. And so we simply become fat-headed Christians. Or as John Stott would call us, tadpole Christians, all head. But this month we have set ourselves a very different goal. We have set ourselves the goal of seeing that word that we feast on not just inform us but change us through and through. The meals we have with our God are meant to do just that. And we've seen that in recent weeks. We've seen some of the physical changes that would happen if we allowed God's word to do that. Two weeks ago we saw that God's word should strengthen our arms in our fight against sin. Last week we saw that uh, his word should swell our hearts in our love for one another. And tonight as we turn to 1 John again, his word is going to tell us this. It should be tuning our ears to hear the truth of his voice. That's what his word should be doing for us. His word should enable you to be able to test the words you hear. To test the spirits as 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 says. Let me read that for you. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now to understand this verse, it's really important to realise that when John uses this word spirit, small s spirit, as he does all the way through our passage, he's using a word which essentially means breath. It's taken from an Old Testament word that refers to the breath one uses when you're speaking. And so essentially what John is saying is this, to, to, to translate the verse again, do not believe every word, but test the words to see whether they're from God. The scripture should be training your ear to be able to test the words you hear so that you'll know whether they're from him or not. And here's why it's important that we do that, that we test the words we hear. Have a look again at verse 1. Because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. We need to test the words we hear because many of the words we hear are false words about our God. Words that claim to be from him but are not. Let me ask you, have you ever experienced false words about your God? False teaching? Not just heard that it's out there and it occurs, but heard it for yourself, experienced it. Would you know it if you heard it? I remember the shock of first hearing false teaching for myself and it was a shock because it came from people I trusted. It was a high school Christian group that I was a part of as one of the students and the leaders, mainly teachers at the school, were teaching all sorts of things that at first to me sounded great. It took me months and months and months to realise that what they were saying wasn't coming from God at all. And here's why it was burned into my memory. Without going into detail as to what they were teaching, it's not just what they said. It's what happens when false words about our God are said. What happens to those who hear them? Three things stuck in my memory. The first thing it did is this, it derailed faith. 
I had a good friend, Simon, who was in my year at school who, when I first started to get to know him, I, I'd changed schools midway through high school, he was miles ahead of me in the Christian life, mature, wise, he was always the go-to man for me if I had questions. Over the course of these months, while, while this false teaching was going on, I, I saw him go from that guy to the guy who wanted nothing to do with the Christian faith. It took just months. It derails faith. And I saw in the year or so that followed, it destroyed confidence, destroyed assurance in our God's goodness. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, it did this. It diminished Christ in our hearts. We became big and our God became very small. And there for me is why John's instruction in verse 1 is so important. Having Christ diminished in your heart, if a word does that, it is a disaster. It's the same thing as having life diminished in your heart or truth diminished or hope diminished for all those things are in Christ alone. So if a word does that, John says, it's not from God. In fact, as verse 3 states very plainly for us, such a word is not only not from God, it's a word from the Antichrist, from Satan, from the one the Bible calls the father of lies. It's a word born out of sinful rebellion to God, a word that is full of words that justify that rebellion, a word that makes much of me and little of Jesus. And a word, verse 5, tells us the crowds will cheer. But ultimately, if you look back to chapter 2, verse 17, it is a word that is passing away, dying. A word that is dying along with those who speak it and those who would believe it. And so John says, don't believe every word you hear. Test the words to see whether they are from God. Don't believe the word that makes much of you and little of Jesus. Then he does something really important for us in verse 2. Having told us not to believe every word, he gives us a test. He says, you want to know how to test the words you hear? Here it is. So simple. Have a look at verse 2. This is how you can recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. So simple, isn't it? How do you test the words? Test the word that tells you that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And at first glance you think, oh, you know, John, give me something a bit more here. I want a bit more of a robust test, a few more things that I can use to test what I hear. But what I want us to see clearly tonight is just how huge a test this really is. To see the wonderful things a word like this confesses to you, tells you about your God. Really, there's two parts uh, to, to this test in verse 2. There's firstly testing the word that tells you that Jesus is the Christ and then testing the word that tells you that Jesus the Christ came in the flesh. Let's look at each of those because I want you to see how big this really is. Firstly, John tells us, he says, listen to the voice that will confess that Jesus is the Christ. Listen because that voice is going to tell you the wonderful truth that Jesus is the centre of history. That all history has prepared for the moment that he came. That all of God's plans from the basement of time all the way through from from our fall, from our rejection of his word have centred on this one, Jesus Christ, who redeems the world. Now the one who believes that word knows that when the horrific moments come in our world, and they do come, don't they? Moments like we've remembered that this week, just this week we've remembered the horrific event of 9-11 
And then uh, we just also remembered a, a year ago the, the start, the spark of the financial global meltdown with the collapse of Lehman Brothers. They look at all the sort of moments that come in our world that seem to indicate that our world is not in control, that there's no real plan. And they see that Jesus is the Christ and they realise that's not the case, that while our world may have no plan, our God has a plan. That there is a Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and he has come. And so we rejoice even in the midst of these sort of moments. And listen again to the voice that tells you that Jesus is the Christ because that voice tells you this about your God. He keeps his promises. That however many promises our God has made, they are yes in Christ. And again, that makes a difference, doesn't it? To know that the God who speaks to you speaks wonderful things, wonderful promises to you. Promises that he would never leave you or forsake you, that he will never condemn you, that he will never abandon you to the grave. To hear those promises and know he keeps every one. For they all find their yes in Jesus Christ who has come. Listen to the voice that tells you he is the Christ. Because that voice will tell you that he is your king. And the voice that tells you that tells you that you are not master and commander of your life, even though you feel like you are. Even though what you have and what you do tells you that you are. That voice will tell you he is king. And again, that makes a difference, doesn't it? Because the voice that tells you that says, here at last is an authority worth submitting to. Because his rule is kind and good. Here at last is a regime worth supporting, worth backing, a kingdom worth being in. A kingdom that Jesus himself said is not of this world and that's good news when you remember chapter 2 verse 17 that our world is passing away. Not his kingdom, not this king, he will reign forever. So John says listen to the word that will tell you these things and the wonderful realities that flow from the fact that Jesus is the Christ. And then there's the other half of the test. Listen for the voice that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And again, it doesn't seem very remarkable, does it? You want John to give you something a a bit more flashy. Yes, I understand that Jesus being the Christ is important, but what's the big deal that he came in the flesh? Give us a test that matters, John. We know he came in the flesh. I mean, we sing it every Christmas, don't we? God come as a baby. The words roll off our tongue with joy. But to be honest, if you're like me, so often the joy is more about holidays and families and friends and food. And so we sing that Jesus has come in the flesh, but our hearts barely skip a beat as we sing it. But John says to us this, listen. Listen to the words you sing every Christmas. This is your test. These are the words you want to hear more than any in this world. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give us second birth. How often have you sung those lines? You know, I love Christmas uh, at this church. I'm beginning to think there's absolutely no sense of having a Christmas in the southern hemisphere. To, to be here at Christmas, at a carol service, this, this church packed Line, lines of candles all over the place. It's, it's a great sight, isn't it? 
And if for a moment we, in that moment, would stop and listen, amidst the the church line with its candles, amidst surging people, stop amidst the moment that the music swells and the voices rise to hear the truth that Jesus has come in the flesh, John would turn to us if he were standing next to us and say, did you hear that? That line you just sang, everything hangs on that. Right there, did you hear it? John says, listen to the word that will tell you Jesus has come in the flesh and the wonderful truths that flow from it, and there are many. Let me hit you with six of them. The voice that tells you that Jesus has come in the flesh is telling you this. Here at last is a man just like you and I, and yet without sin. Here at last is a man who is just like you and I, and yet obeys his Father in heaven. Here is the one who is everything I was supposed to be, but never could be. Here is the one true human. And secondly, the voice that tells you that Jesus has come in the flesh is telling you that this one man, sinless, obedient, righteous, is the man who has come to stand in your place. Because you can't. Because your sin leaves you facing death and judgement and you can't pay that. And so he came to stand there for you. He had to be like you to do that. He pays the debt that I was supposed to pay but never could. He is the man in my place. And thirdly, listen to the voice that will tell you that he has come in the flesh because it's telling you this. This one man has come up against the one enemy you will never defeat, death, and he has destroyed it on, his, in that, on that tree in his body. He died in his flesh and then he took it back up again because it was impossible for death to hold him down. And when I believe the word that tells me that, I remember the wonderful hope I have that my Redeemer lives, that I will see him in my flesh, for he has risen and so will I. Fourthly, the voice that tells you that Jesus has come in the flesh is telling you this. This one man is your priest before God. Not some guy in a dog collar or a purple shirt, but Jesus come in the flesh. He's the one who represents you before God. He's the one who opens up the whole throne of grace to you so that when we pray as we have done tonight, every word of that is heard. And because of him, whenever we sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence. Do you see why it matters that he came in the flesh? Let me give you two more. The voice that tells you that Jesus has come in the flesh is telling you this, that God is knowable. That God isn't some mysterious, unknowable, distant, ethereal being. He's Jesus. And not only does he make it possible to know what God is like, he knows what it's like to be you. He's suffered. He's been tempted in every way that you have. He is your brother. He knows your feeble frame well and he's able to give you every grace that you will need. And finally, the voice that tells you that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is telling you this. This one man shows you what it means to be a man, a human. If the greatest person on this world died on a cross, then greatness is about being humble, isn't it? That's what God come in the flesh does. It turns human life on its head. It redefines greatness and success and power. Mild he lays his glory by And so when John says in verse 2, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he's not just saying, listen to the voice that can trot that line out to you. 
Because even the devil would say, verse 2, he is saying, look for a word that won't deny the huge implications that come from this. Now I'm aware tonight that there will be students here who've recently arrived in Sheffield and you may be looking around for a church to call your home for these next few years that you're here. Let me say, I hope tonight you feel welcome. I, I hope as, as you be with us tonight that, that already you feel at home. And I hope as you uh, enjoy a spud bar afterwards that you feel even more at home. Now, I've been here three years and I'm still settling into the city, but it's a great one. Let me encourage you, as you look around for a church to call your home, you'll have, probably have lots of things on your mind, things that you're looking for. But let me add this to your list. Actually, let me encourage you to put this at the top of your list because most of the other things are going to be op- preferences, aren't they? Rather than must-haves. This is a must-have. Listen for this. Not just for a voice that will pay Jesus' lip service, but a word that will honour Jesus by confessing all his incarnation means to you. Listen for a word that's going to assure you that Jesus' death is all you need to be right with your God. Listen for a word that will call you to put your hope in God because he has defeated death for you. Listen for a voice that won't claim to be your priest but will point you to Jesus again and again for the grace you need. Listen to a voice that says God is knowable, that he isn't some vague spiritual idea or a positive presence in your life, whatever that looks like. Now look for a voice that will declare, as God's word does, that Jesus is a real man in a real place, dying on a real cross, exposing our real sin. And a real man who is the Christ, who gives real commands about how to live real life here and now. And that because of that he is worth obeying and worth following because you and I are going to bow our knee before him. And so if you're a student looking around or even if you're just a regular part of our church family here and you're wondering what to listen to and what to ignore, listen to the voice that confesses this to you and listen to the voice that will call on you to confess it as well. And just before we finish, uh, let me leave you with this as well from our passage. Something that you need to know about yourself as you listen As you listen for the truth that comes from God, you need to know this about yourself. It's in verse 4. You need to know who you are. Do you see how he describes you at the start of verse 4? Dear children. That's who you are and I are. We are children. Now why would John call us that? I mean, after all, how can this be any comfort when we've just heard that we're going to have to be discerning and, and wise that there's going to be all sorts of lies that are going to be thrown at us and that we've got to be able to tell what is true and what is not about our God. When we're told that the Antichrist is about in our world, why is it good to be a child? How can a child stand up against a world that will lie to them about their God? I wrote that question on a piece of paper this week and then uh, I was chatting with Finn, my oldest son, uh, on uh, Friday and he'd come home from uh, a week where they'd been taught about Islam. He said to, to me on Friday, we, we even made a Muslim prayer mat and I was showing which way to, to point it and, and how to kneel and pray. How can a child stand up against a world that will lie to them about their God? Well, here's how. John does say you are a child, but do you see whose child you are? You are his child. You are from God. When John says, listen to the voice that is from God, he's asking you to listen to a voice that you already know. It's your father's voice. 
It's the first voice you ever heard when you came to life as a Christian. It's the voice that rescued you. A voice that you've grown to love more and more the more you hear him speak to you. A voice that you've grown to know so well that you could pick it out in a chorus of others. I mean, that's what a child does with his father's voice. Now, the first time I came across false teaching, as I said, it took me months to pick it. Now I'm pretty sure, and I say this without any arrogance, that I could pick it a mile off because I know my father's voice. You want to know how to test what you hear in this place, from, from this pulpit and from what, anywhere else you hear teaching? Listen to your dad. Get used to his voice so that you can know when it's missing. And even simpler, as John says in verse 6, speaking of himself and the other apostles, listen to us, he says. You see, the apostolic word, the scriptures that we have, is all that you will need to test what you hear. So listen with it open. You are a child, you are his child, and verse 4, his spirit is in you. You see the difference that makes? The one who is in you is greater than the one in this world. The spirit in you knows this voice because he is the one who speaks God's word. He is the reason you first believed the word. He's the reason you believe it tonight. He's the spirit of truth and he is greater than any spirit that would lie to you. Dear children, John says, because God's spirit is in you, you win. I asked him, uh, what did you do when they asked you to kneel down on this mat and pray? He said, I knelt down. And I prayed to my God because there is no other God. He's the only one. We read that in the Bible. You want to see the power of the Spirit in full flight? Deuteronomy 13, we didn't have it read out earlier, but it's well worth reading later. It says this, Don't look for miraculous signs or wonders. Even they can deceive you. If you want to see the power of the Spirit in full flight, look for the power of a child of God the power a child of God has within them to test what they hear, to listen to the sound of their father's voice because they know he speaks a better word than any this world has ever spoken. Let's pray. And Father God, we do thank you so much that you are a God who speaks that you delight to have us come and sit with you at table and to feast on your word. We thank you for what you have taught us tonight and we pray, Father, that you would give us wise hearts to test what we hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.